0: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
2: I'm so excited today because we are interviewing Dr. Stephen Hall, and he is the author of this wonderful book called The Seven Tools of Healing. Unlock your inner wisdom and live the life your soul desires. And he, we even have a forward to this book by Bernie Siegel, M.D., who wrote Love, Medicine, and Miracles. And I've read most of his books. And he loves Stephen. And so now I love Stephen, too. And I love this book. And it's really very integral. You know, we, we're going to talk about integrated medicine. And he'll explain the difference between traditional medicine, functional medicine and integrated medicine so thank you so much for joining us steve
1: oh thank you so much for inviting me yeah
2: so let's get started with finding out a little bit about your background i didn't want to read it i wanted you to just tell us you decided to go to medical school and what was that all about and how did that lead you to where you are today
1: sort of had this insight when i was in sixth grade that i wanted to be a doctor and I didn't really know much about that like what it meant to be a doctor um and I just had that tucked away and as I went through the rest of my schooling I found I was just pretty good at science and so I have a pretty strong background in science I've got a degree in chemistry a degree in material science and engineering and I'm just shy of a degree in physics and I was interested not just in the content of science, though, but how did science work? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do we actually know that what we think we know is true? Yeah. And, and so I really studied the scientific process as well. You know, how do we answer these kinds of questions? Right. And so then when I got into medical school, I actually was quite shocked because uh, we weren't really asked to think. We were asked to memorize. Right. <laughs> and... I always hated memorizing things, <laughs> and so I really had to shift gears in my brain to, to uh, you know, memorize all the drugs and pharmacology, and memorize and all the, the anatomy. The of the
2: body. I remember yeah. when when my ex was in medical school, and I'd have to test him about all the little bones in your hand, and he'd yeah. pick up all these uh, acronyms to try and remember.
1: The so exactly yeah. Exactly
2: what you mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, and so after two years of this, it's pretty easy to put your analytical problem solving brain kind of in the back. And, and a, a lot of times we're just trained to, to follow recipes, so to speak. And, and I never felt comfortable with that. And even my first year of medical school, I started meeting people whose experiences with their own health didn't fit the medical model. Right. For example, I met a woman who healed her husband's Crohn's disease by putting him on an organic food diet. Mm. This was back in the 70s, right? Yeah. And then when we when we studied Crohn's disease, they never mentioned organic food diet as one of the treatments. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) And something in my head said, "Don't raise your hand and ask." (laughs) (laughs) And um, but I filed it away and says, "Huh?" Because so so medicine, conventional medicine, is not. Uh, like a complete system of healing. Right. Uh, so, for example, think of one thing in your life that has no influence on your health whatsoever. Hmm. Can you think of anything?
2: No, I can't think of anything because I I'm very much into body mind spirit. So my thoughts affect, you know. And I've read mm-hmm. Louise Hay, you know, about you can heal your life. So I and know Bruce that Smithers. if I have negative thoughts, I'm going to have something going wrong in my body
1: hmm And Bruce Lipton wrote the biology of beliefs. So what you believe actually determines genetic expression in the cell. Nice. So, um, so it just makes sense to have a medicine that can take into account all of human experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've been trying to develop in my practice and in trying to practice. And um, so I came across Ken Wilber's work many years ago, And are you familiar with him too? It sounds like you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he said, you know, this is the first time in human experience that we have access to all of human knowing. So what do all the different world traditions have to say about how you go from a newborn baby to a fully actualized human being? And maybe if we put all of these, what they say together, we can come up with a roadmap.
0: Mm.
1: And so he came up with these four quadrants and, and each quadrant has levels and steps in it and stuff. And, and medicine is basically stuck in what's called the right upper quadrant of Ken Wilber's work. Um, psychology would be the left upper quadrant.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, sociology and geography and things like that would be the left lower quadrant. And things like ethics and, and actually the law, legal things would be the left lower quadrant. Mm-hmm. But things in all the quadrants affect your health. So we have to take all of those things into account and, uh, and there are actually our ways to do that. So, um, I found that functional medicine is actually a really good way to think about the human body and your biochemistry in that right upper quadrant, because it thinks more in a systems way instead of a real reductionistic way. Right. And, um, but there's a, there's a real trap with functional medicine and I call it trying to micromanage your metabolism uh-huh. that, you know, we we are learning so much about all the different metabolic pathways in your body. How can you control all of them? Right. So, and, and it comes a point where you just have to step back and trust your body's own wisdom that, Hey, it knows how to put all these things into balance. If we just uh, give it what it needs, we don't have to take 40 or 50 supplements to, to do that most of the time. Oh, so, it's very tempting to try to learn as much as you can about all the different pathways, all the different supplements that affect the pathways and, and all the symptoms. And, um, but that's really no different than conventional medicine in that you're taking something to treat a symptom rather than treat a root root cause.
2: Right. right.
1: And I know well, a lot of functional, well, medicine.
2: functional medicine, at least the one that I'm involved with right now is into how you eat, saying that your foods are medicine too. Uh, you know what you take into your body is is quote medicine, right? If I and were that's very french true. fries, that wouldn't be good, but if i'm if I'm eating broccoli and I'm eating cauliflower and I'm eating other things, then that's kind of a medicine, right? isn't that somewhat?
1: it is and and that's very important. Uh, The flip side of that is, is I have many, many patients with severe chronic illness that eat impeccably well. Right. And, And that helps them, but that's not the root cause of their problem. Right. They still have their arthritis or their headaches or their fibromyalgia. Now, some people, it does help and their symptoms get better. Right. But there's still a number of people that eat really, really well. And, and that's still not enough. So, right. so there's deeper roots than how you eat. And um, that might be news to, well, I'm, I don't think so. Dr. Hyman's really getting, he, he's the one that really touts the diet and, and, you know, your forks, your best instrument, that sort of thing. And, right. um, and his information is really good. Um, and he's actually getting to realize that there are deeper things going on than just lifestyle and diet. Right. Um, right but those things are definitely important foundation.
2: Yeah, so you go further into the body, mind, spirit, kind of, you know, just like Deepak Chopra and, you know, uh, Larry Dossie, you you are much more evolved and recognizing that consciousness has a lot to do with how healthy we are, right?
1: Well, and, and that's what I found because over the years of my practice, and you know how many years that is. The <laughs> um,
2: same amount of years kept, I've been in practice too for the legal profession.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we're just finally getting to where we think we know something, right? <laughs> That's a bit dangerous. But right. um, <laughs> But anyway, um, I kept trying to get to the root with my patients. And, mm-hmm. and every time we thought we were to the root, there, there seemed to be something deeper. And yeah. so we'd explore more deeply and we just kept going until – turns out we actually get to what i call consciousness and and so i think my own opinion now is that consciousness is the root of everything and it's how we manifest that consciousness uh, that that determines our life and so if you're working to change something that's already been created like you're working to lower your blood pressure or you're working to whatever it is right you The horse is already out of the barn, so to speak. So um, you can keep doing that work, um, but it's still getting created, see? And so that's why you have to get on your blood pressure medicine and stay on it. It doesn't ever, it's not the the cause of your high blood pressure. But there's some kind of determinant of your conscious flow that's allowing that blood pressure to manifest in your life. And if you can access that and change that, then the blood pressure. The high blood pressure stops getting created and it goes away. And then you can stop okay. your blood pressure medicine.
2: Right. And, and I wonder about, you know, um, these people who have a spontaneous spiritual healing, you know, um, because the body and the mind and the spirit do know what to do. The body, like I always think about this if I get a cut in my finger, I don't have to even tell it to heal or do anything. <laughs> it just heals, right? Yeah, just knows how. Right? So we know that the body knows how to do it. We just get in the way, don't we?
1: A lot of times. I mean, most of us have what I call limiting beliefs, which are beliefs that tell ourselves that we're smaller than we really are. Um, so so any belief that says you're less than a divine being of light basically is a false belief, right?
2: Right. And
1: so we all have beliefs that say, well, I don't deserve this, or I'm not good enough, or that sort of thing and so when you and and that's an interesting example if you collect um say 100 stories of people who have had spontaneous remissions from their disease like um and you start to say well okay what really happened here um they all seem to do something different right but what they really did was they had these aha moments Mm. and their perceptions radically shifted that makes sense, yeah, and then that led, a lot of sense and that led them to to do the research they needed in order to eat eight plates of greens a day or whatever and or watch Charlie Chaplin movies and laugh all day long and, you know the, the things that people have done to get better vary all over the place, but the deeper thing that they all did was they all went into that dark night of their soul, so to speak, and had these aha moments that Opened them up to their own knowing basically, and then they started following their knowing. Right, their so
2: beliefs change about who they are and what I know. I remember reading in, in Bernie Siegel's books too um, about you know these patients, these cancer patients. And it was his, this one guy, um, they said we, they found this new medicine and it was going to cure him, and he like immediately got better. And then he read in the paper that it that that wasn't right, that it really wasn't helping. And then he got sick and died, you know? So um, there's another cute story, which you probably know. I just have to share it because I always loved it. There's this guy that's um, in the hospital and the radiologist comes and says, I can cure you. And he goes, go away. God's going to cure me. God's going to cure me. And then the, uh, you know, the the chemotherapist comes in and he goes, I'm going to cure you, you know, and he goes, go away. God's going to cure me. And then, and then the surgeon comes in and goes, I'm going to cut and cure. And he goes, go away. God's going to cure me. And then obviously that was the end. <laughs> but you know, if he really really believed that God was going to cure him, it might've done that. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> but then, and yeah. And, and the story I heard was that he continues to get sick and, and right before he dies, he says, God, I said, I thought you were going to cure me, and God says, well, I sent you. <laughs> I sent you the said, surgeon,
2: I sent yeah. you the radiologist, I sent you, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But this book, and... let's talk a little bit about this book, because you've got seven tools, and I'd like to start talking about the tools so that people can learn a little bit more, and then if they're excited about it like I am, they'll want to get the book. So let's let's get to the seven tools. Start out with one?
1: okay yeah, okay, well, the first tool I think of as a foundation and and I and I call it faith because that's kind of what people's own inner wisdom calls it and and there's a lot of confusion about faith in our society. Uh, we tend to assume faith means a certain set of beliefs right like you have a beliefs in God or belief in Jesus or belief in Muhammad or or whatever it's a certain set of beliefs but but how the inner wisdom uses it. Is it's actually kind of a a measurement for how strongly you believe what you believe, and so you you can have a belief and and it kind of have a so-so faith in it, and then and and then it's not a very strong belief in your life, or you can have another belief that you would defend to the death, right, and and then you have a lot of faith in that belief, and and what we see is. How easily that belief manifests in your life depends on how strongly you believe it. Mm. And and so strengthening the faith in your beliefs is something that gets better with practice. So the challenge is to choose what you want to believe and then practice strengthening your faith in it. And so if, if you believe you can get better, if you can believe your life can improve, if you believe you're enough, just as you are, you don't have to be any different. Um, you know, so pick a set of beliefs that that are really beneficial for you and then focus on really strengthening your faith in those beliefs. So that's what faith is. And and I think of it like a foundation. Everything else is built upon. So that's why it's the first tool.
2: I think I think the challenge for a lot of people is that they might say, yeah, I believe I'm going to get better. I believe it. And, and they start to do some things, but then they've got these negative thoughts that get in there. You know, it's right. like the old cartoons that maybe you remember, you know, you're going
1: to get The devil back. on one side? No, you're not.
2: No, you're not. <laughs> you know, remember right. that? The devil and the angel. And I think exactly. we, got, we got to shut off that negative well, devil, right? The,
1: well, and there's a way to do that because if you try to force it to shut off, what happens?
2: It's going
1: to come stronger. <laughs> it gets stronger, exactly. So you can't force these things, and and that's where most self-help techniques make a big mistake. And so the seven tools actually corrects that mistake. And you know, we'll explain how all that works. Okay. So exactly right, because the vast majority of your beliefs actually hang out in the unconscious part of your mind. They're yes. they're back here, making up your worldview. And you don't know they're there, but that they make the world look the way it looks to you, and you think that's reality. So you need a way to get into the unconscious, find those beliefs that are tripping you up the the, the negative you know and and change them and, and practice the seven tools is the best way I've ever found to do that. Um, but yeah, so I think about doubt as the test of faith, and if the doubt wins, that means your faith wasn't strong enough and you got to keep practicing strengthening your faith Right. but then you can also as we will talk about, there's a practice you can do to help eliminate the doubt as well. Right. So, um, so, yeah, that's exactly right. We all have these tugs of war going on inside, but there's a way to deal with it. Our so, inner
2: conflict, right?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: So we got to resolve uh, our inner conflict first.
1: Exactly. And I just want to say, too, I really like your metaphor of conflict as a disease and that it can be treated, and um, there's so much truth in that, and so I really applaud you in your, that work that you're yeah. doing along those lines. Um, so the second tool is awareness. Okay. Uh, another word for that is mindfulness, Right. And, and there's all kinds of studies, as you know, uh, about the power of mindfulness, um, and that's, that's really important, and so what awareness does is it moves things from the not-known pile over to the known pile mm. and so basically it grows your consciousness your your, your uh, ego type consciousness and what your conscious mind yes. and so it's much easier to work on something if you know it's there
2: right you can't you can't fix what you don't know about right
1: exactly so you use the mindfulness to watch yourself you know watch how you're feeling because there's a constant flow of feelings inside in response to all the sensory information you're getting every, Everything that's going on in your body, that um, energy,
2: yeah, that whole energy to be aware of your energy. I know you, you can talk watch about your energy up too. Yeah.
1: yeah, you can watch your physical body. You can watch your mind thinking thoughts. So there's all you can watch how the environment affects you. You can watch how other people affect you. So there's all kinds of things. That's why awareness is the biggest chapter in the book. Is yeah, so many things to become aware of, right? Yes, and then, um, and so mindfulness is really important, but it seems like most mindfulness practices don't ever go on to say, well, okay, what do you do with what you just became mindful of?
2: Mm, Right. Right.
1: And so what the seven tools says is you apply the third tool to it, which is you have to acknowledge it. And when I was first observing these tools and I was working on my patients, um, I sort of glossed over that step thinking, Oh yeah, yeah. And I didn't think it was very important, but the more I've, worked with these tools the more i think this third tool is one of the most important Mm. ones because again it's what gets missed by most self-help techniques so what acknowledge says is yeah this is my truth this is what's happening to me this is how i feel this is what my knee feels like this is what my headache feels like this is what so and so said to me you know so it's really acknowledging your truth and and there's an important law that says you shall know your truth, and your truth shall
2: set you free.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so, so if you want to be free of your headache or free of your fibromyalgia, or free of your depression, whatever it is, you've got to be working with your truth of it. Because the, the saying isn't you shall know your fantasy and your fantasy shall set you free. Unfortunately, because that would be a lot easier. <laughs> right? yeah. So um
2: I, I remember it kind of reminds me when you're talking about that, when I learned the Lamaze method, when I had my kids is that I, I felt the pain, but I breathed into it. You know, I didn't fight I, it. I just went with it. And, and I've remembered that to this day and I do Reiki and all that stuff too. But, but is that what you mean? You kind of go into it and feel it and acknowledge it. This is what I'm feeling instead of try and take a an aspirin or a, tylenol to make it go away you really just go into that feeling is that what you mean
1: exactly okay. and into your whole the experience of your whole life in this moment because okay. the second you say oh there's something wrong with me that needs to change mm. the second you say that which is what motivates everybody to start changing right, right? but just starting from that place you're already stuck mm. see Um, and so you've got to acknowledge your truth right now, even the uncomfortable feelings and all that. And so there's a lot of exercises about how to do that. And so once you, um, are aware of your truth and once you acknowledge your truth, that's where you really just let it in and let it be. Then what do you do? Well, what the inner wisdom says is just be kind to yourself about that. Just get off your back about that. Mm -hmm. And I call, and that's what I call compassion, which is the fourth tool. And I call compassion the alchemist because that's what actually works the change. Mm -hmm. Because if you get in there and try to force that belief that you're not good enough, try to force it to change, try to talk yourself out of it. See your creativity and, and goes wherever you focus your attention. And it turns out that repression and denial are forms of attention. Mm. so whatever you're repressing or denying you're actually creating more of it
2: it's and like whatever you resist persists
1: <laughs> yep that saying is a um expression of that particular law of consciousness so i call these laws of consciousness the right, um right. you shall know your truth your truth shall set you free that's a law right. of consciousness uh, that we're all created equal that's a law of consciousness so there's a bunch of these laws of consciousness that right um So, um, yeah, so the third tool, yeah. So the third tool undoes any of that Mm -hmm. resistance and denial and repression and that kind of thing. So, so, um, you really have to let your truth in. So then you just be kind to yourself about your truth.
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Steve. So, so to be compassionate, you, you, what do you say to yourself? Do you say to yourself, um, I know you have a headache, just feel it and, and go into it. And, Spirit will help you go get rid of it or whatever you want to say. Help me tell my audience what we would say to ourselves.
1: Yeah. And that's interesting because I've had really highly educated professional people in the office and they have never once considered the idea of being kind to themselves. Mm. You know, we don't know how to do that very well in our society We're we're taught to to be selfless. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and to be selfless and put yourself last and, and, you know, and that's a definite, a uh, occupational hazard for moms and, you know, that sort of thing. Right. So, um, so I say, well, let's say we're walking down the sidewalk and came across the puppy with a hurt leg. How would you feel towards that puppy? Oh,
2: I would say, Oh, you poor baby. Yeah. And I'd be petting it and speaking to it sweetly.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that metaphor works a lot. The one wo- one woman once looked at me and says, that doesn't work for me because I hate dogs.
2: <laughs> well, I have two dogs and I'm a dog lover, so it would work yeah. for me.
1: <laughs> so, and then so I said, well, well, let's say your best friend's mom passed away. Yeah. <clears throat> so you went over to be with your best friend during that time. How would you be with her? Right. Gentle. I mean, you can't tell her, well, you feel better.
2: Right.
1: Right, that doesn't work. Right. You could clean her house, or cook a meal, or just sit with her. Right. Right. So, so that that just that open-hearted presence, that that just being present in an open-hearted way, that's what I think of as compassion. Okay. And, and that's that gets better with practice. So all these things get better with practice. That's what's kind of cool about these. I really could have called them skills, but I called them tools because I'm a woodworker and yeah. you know we <laughs> have tools. And um, um, so pra- practice, practice having compassion for yourself. So then, what happens when you bring enough compassion to a particular experience that you're working with? Then the sense of forgiveness just naturally follows. And and once you really forgive, it, it's a true letting go. And I've I've been working on people when they've hit that point of forgiveness, and you just feel the release all through their tissues. And, and so you can practice forgiveness, but that doesn't seem to work as well as forgiveness arrived at through the practice of, uh, compassionate, accepting awareness. So mm-hmm. I put those tools, two, three, and four together, compassionate accepting awareness. And then, and then once you, you keep going with your awareness, you often start to get a glimpse of, you know, how spirit moves behind the scenes to, to orchestrate all this. And, and people often get struck with this sense of awe or this sense of wonder. And, and that's what I call gratitude. Mm. And so when someone comes in and tells me, you know, I wouldn't choose to go through it again, but I'm glad I got cancer. Or I'm glad I got hit by a car. I'm glad whatever. Because of all that I've learned from it, right. then I know they've gotten the healing out of that experience. Right.
2: People so that's s- that have had cancer that have said it was my greatest. Oh, believe it or not, we are just about out of time. Yeah, it's uh, uh-huh. a great teacher. Would you believe that? Well, w- this is so wonderful. We, we'll have to have you back again. But I want to make sure that I we got through four of the tools. No, five. We got through Six. five. Six. Gratitude oh, is the sixth tool. Right. Compassion. And
1: gratitude.
2: Gratitude. And the last one.
1: Is this right action? You know, how how do you actually be in the world to get the results that you want?
2: Right. So they're going to have to read your book to find out, right? Sorry,
1: I talked <laughs> too much. Yeah.
2: No, no, no. It was wonderful. I mean, we wanted to get into depth. So I want to mention again, The Seven Tools of Healing, Unlock Your Inner Wisdom and Live the Life Your Soul Desires. It's a wonderful book by Stephen M. Hall, M.D., and why don't you just give your website and then we're going to have to go.
1: It's theseventools.com and the, the number seven.
2: Yeah. The and seven I think tools. you also com. have one, Stephen. M.
1: Hall, MD. That's one from my practice. Okay. Stephen M. Hall,
2: Okay. And theseventools.com. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we will have you back again very soon to talk more about it. Thank this. you. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you.